Welcome to the Space Biff Book Space. It's the only podcast in the multiverse with board game critics discussing books. That's true. That's potentially. Uh, yeah. Sure. And it's like our fifth episode or something. It's definitely the only one in the Spider Verse. Nice. Yeah. I just watched that. Did you Isn't like that it? Great. I did. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah, surprisingly good, huh? Did you know uh, that uh, the anime Spider Woman uh, was created by Gerard Way, lead singer of My Chemical Romance? No. I learned that uh, also while watching that movie. Interesting huh. trivia. Just a fun fact for you. Yeah. Here's another fun fact. Sorry, cut me off. What? No, cut... Oh. What? I'm saying there's a fun what? fact, but then I want you to cut me off so I don't actually have to share any trivia. Mm. So here's a fun fact about the Spider-Verse. As we, always, I am Somerset Winters Thoreau, the host of this lovely podcast, and we also have... I am usually Brock Polson, including today. I'm Dan Thorot. No relation. No relation. Today, we'll be discussing the book A Darkling Sea by James L. Cambius. Cambius. That's the um, one. Brock, please share some wrong spoilers with us. All right. Here we go. Uh, my favorite part uh, was when the hero rode a crab man into battle. <laughs> That's actually, so I wrote, I wrote that one real early on. In reading the book, uh, it's not it's not super wrong, really. <laughs> it's like mostly wrong. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the crab people ride. Hey, hey. What? We are in non-spoiler oh, oh, yeah. territory. Non- wrong spoiler territory. Oh, sorry. Uh, wrong. That was wrong of me. Right, that right, was right. wrong of you. <laughs> now get right. Okay, here we go. Uh, James L. Cambius has been criticized for his use of, quote, aqua science to explain away every implausible scene in a darkling sea. Getting drunk on salt water? Chemical aqua science. The crab men drinking cups of super air like it's coffee? Aqua science. Uh, wait, is that here's, it? Here's another one. <laughs> uh, we're moving no, wait, on. We, I want to talk about that one. <laughs> okay, let's talk about aqua science. Okay, I've got it. Nick, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I just had to parse it in my brain. Sure, okay. Uh, there's n- there is no known occurrence of an otherwise healthy person being born with twice as many lungs as a normal human. It also seems unlikely that the scientific term f- for this would be a, quote, four-bagger. <laughs> what? <laughs> you remember? The person with, with four lungs? <laughs> I don't recall uh, this. Is this like a sentence reference in the book somewhere? <laughs> this is, uh, no, this is real. This is real free form. I'm getting I'm getting wild with the wrong spot. It's like jazz. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the jokes you don't tell. Uh, all right. Well, here's here's another real real jazzy one. Uh, it's unlikely that Rob would be able to take a quote real quick naked swim in waters at this depth and pressure. <laughs> Even if he was Michael Phelps's clone, as he claimed, <laughs> <laughs> that scene was shocking <laughs> and amazing. <laughs> right, right, yeah, it was inspiring. Uh, and finally, an alien race with a sound-based language, living millions of light years from Earth, and possessing wildly different physiology from humans, would not quote stumble onto creating a complete Taco Bell restaurant at the bottom of the ocean. Even if they explain that it, quote, just made sense. <laughs> That's part of the cover-up. They just made that Taco Bell. Don't blame us for really initiating contact. That's right, the right. universal that all races are united by. The Chalupa. The one thing... The, the one thing we, we have in common this. It's with not these, <laughs> Right, right. The, the one thing we have in common with these fishmen is uh, thinking outside the box. <laughs> oh, my. 
Someone Thank eats you. a Taco Bell. That was that was <laughs> lovely. Probably tonight. How was that? How was dinner to you? Uh, we bond over fourth <laughs> meal with our distant <laughs> brother. Oh no. Oh my. <laughs> oh, this episode I forgot is sponsored by Taco Bell. They only paid Brock. <laughs> In, <laughs> right, my portion of the other recordings. <laughs> <laughs> and apologies. All right, um, next we have Dan giving us the actual synopsis. Spoiler alert. Yes, there will be spoilers. I'm going to spoil everything to the highest degree. I'm going to. I'm even making a Trump hand here. The highest <laughs> degree of accuracy. <laughs> This is the best synopsis, and it's called the Darkling Synopsis. <laughs> I couldn't help myself with that. No, I don't. Once, once you it's get started, just, it's just hard. Apologies to Kelly Wand. All right, time, the future, but not that far into the future. Setting. Hitoti Station at the bottom of the ocean of the frozen planet Ilmatar. Is that how you were saying that in your head? Alpha Quadrant, Milky Way Galaxy. So it is obviously Ilmatar no. because it's based. Hitoti. So it's Japanese. Okay. It's, it's technically like Hitode. Okay. But I'm not going to say Hitode every time because that's racist. I would say High Toad. It's not High Toad. <laughs> it's Hitoti. Hitode. I think I can speak languages in my own accent. No. Which is American. Mm. Interesting. Okay. That, that, that could be a whole other we're discussion. Gonna, we're going to talk about cultural supremacy. Also, yeah, I've, I've shared two sentences <laughs> <laughs> of my synopsis. Buckle so you're going to really... If you're going to do that, this is going to take we'll all night. here a while. Okay. Our friend Rob Kramer has given up being an aspiring game designer and is now an astronaut stationed on a base so deep beneath the ocean that every week on planet cuts a year off his life. Oh, this is a deep wow. cut. That is the near future. He thought this trade-off was worth it for a short life of adventure on an alien world, but his job mostly consists of shuttling around the annoying popular scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson. It's pretty much a lateral move for Rob. <laughs> One day, Neil deGrasse Tyson reveals that he has imported a stealth diving suit, which he proposes they can use to spy on the native Ilmatarans, a race of sentient lobsters that humanity is not permitted to contact for reasons that won't be stated for another 60 pages. Rob agrees and shuttles Neil deGrasse Tyson to the nearby Ilmataran village. Neil deGrasse Tyson tests his stealth suit by waving his arms, jumping up and down, shouting as loudly as he can in the nearest Ilmataran sonar receptors, and eventually stomping on their lobster tails. <laughs> the Ilmatarans abduct him and abscond to their village. However, a sense of calm settles over Neil deGrasse Tyson as he realizes that these majestic creatures recognize him as a fellow intelligent being. <laughs> he plans to make peaceful contact. Instead, they vivisect him while, war while Rob watches the live stream with a mixture of horror and relief. I laugh so hard that I drop the book and lose my place. News of humanity's botched first contact with the Ilmatarans spreads beyond Hitore Station and somehow passes to the Sholin, a race of star hippies whose guiding philosophy originated from Star Trek The Next Generation broadcasts. <laughs> they send a ship to inspect Ilmatar, and the humans busy themselves with covering up any hint that they might have violated interstellar law. While the rest of the crew works overtime, Rob uses Neil deGrasse Tyson's death as an excuse to mope around the station and have sex with Alicia, a female of indeterminate accent, whose principal character trait is a willingness to have sex with mopey Americans. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, we follow Broadtail, an Ilmataran and member of the Bitterwater Science Club. After he and his friends vivisect a weird fish with a hard shell and hot blood, Broadtail returns to his home, gets into a fight, 
stabs another Ilmatara to death, and is banished forever from his home. You know lobster stuff. Broadtail returns to the estate of Longpincer, his vivisectionist buddy, who agrees <laughs> to shelter him and fund an expedition to discover more of the strange hard-bodied fish. Broadtail mounts his expedition, but is ambushed by another lobster named Strongbody or something, who ransacks Broadtail's science caravan. Broadtail escapes and is adopted by a teacher, who catches children in the wild and trains them to be adults. Strongbody attacks again, hiring the liberated children to be his personal army. Broadtail escapes with a new child friend and unwittingly heads closer to Hitore Station. Aboard the station, two Sholin inspectors arrive, named Tijhos and Gishora. It turns out the Sholin are really into sex, and use it as a form of communal bonding and even communication. This is unfortunate for the station commander, Dr. Sen, who gets lovingly fondled while the rest of the humans watch in mock horror, pretending they haven't written entire libraries of fan fiction preparing for this very moment. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> As the Sholin inspect the base's data, we learn that politics on their home planet are undecided about this quote-unquote human problem. Because humans enjoy spreading out and making pollution and greeting species without permission, the Sholin are considering a preemptive war to restrict humanity to their home system. The astronauts are upset to learn they will be removed from Hitore Station and begin waging... Ugh. The astronauts are upset to learn they will be removed from Hitore Station and begin waging a war of pranks designed to prove to the Sholin that humanity can join the interstellar community as a fully responsible and mature member species. <laughs> but when Rob and his fellow pranksters ruin Tijos' diving suit, the Sholin interpret this as an attack, and reinforcements are deployed to the base. Rob and a few others steal two inflatable habitats and the submersible and leave the station to live in the wilderness. At first, this is so much fun. <laughs> Rob and the others eat granola bars, have sex that stinks of neoprene diving suits, and trade Che Guevara t-shirts. <laughs> However, the Sholins soon discover the first habitat and attack. When the humans in the habitat refuse to be removed, the Sholin lose their temper and beat one of them to death. Another human, a guy portentously named Graves, stabs the Sholin commander to death while he's out for a swim. At the second habitat, Rob meets Broadtail as he flees from Strongbody, and the two of them hit it off. In addition to being an undersea resistance fighter, Graves is also a linguist, and they establish a common tongue with the Ilmataran. They talk about swimming and other lobster things. <laughs> Unfortunately, Graves later attacks Hitori Station and gets exploded by a micro-torpedo. For the rest of the book, we're forced to content ourselves with Rob using familiar words to communicate with Broadtail. Sad face, Neil deGrasse Tyson, sex Alicia, smiley face, he says to Broadtail. <laughs> Broadtail decides this would be a good time to go home. Back at Long Pincer's estate, Broadtail persuades the rest of the science club to visit the humans. They return and gradually learn about each other. The humans come from above the ice, which the Ilmatarans regard as mind-blowing. The Ilmatarans are blind lobsters who swim around and fight over their property a lot. The humans think that's pretty cool, too. <laughs> when the humans' other habitat is raided by the Sholin, Rob and Alicia, and some other guy I don't remember very well, they escape to Long Pincer's estate. They build an underwater igloo and eat bacterial mats and have a swell time transforming the Ilmatarans into a willing colonial army. <laughs> Unfortunately, a new Sholin commander arrives at Hitore Station. His name is Irona. He's less interested in getting along with the humans. To help the, evacu to help the evacuation get back on track, Irona tries to establish a bond with Dr. Sen the only way he knows how. Dr. De Dr. Sen doesn't enjoy getting squirted with alien jizz. <laughs> this makes Irona upset. When a Sholin raid reveals that the humans have made contact with the Ilmatarans and are exchanging linguistic deets, they contact some Ilmatarans of their own, 
Strongbody and his band of unruly children and have them pose as merchants of rare alien artifacts in order to discover where the humans are hiding. Strongbody travels from village to village and ultimately comes across Longpincer's estate. Broadtail recognizes his banditish scent and warns the others that an attack will soon arrive. Rob explains their defensive strategy. Swim, bolt thrower, sex Alicia, sad face, Neil deGrasse Tyson, bacterial Matt smiley face, diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> the Ilmatarans nod to themselves in understanding. Emojis are such an important part of any alien language. Everyone makes <laughs> emojis. <laughs> it's universal. <laughs> there are only 15 pages left, so the attack is briskly detailed. Strong body and his rowdy children, hashtag your band name, attack first and are ambushed by the good <laughs> Ilmatarans. Strong body dies off screen, which is a huge day. It's a letdown. The Sholin attempt to launch torpedoes to destroy the entire estate and clear the Ilmataran record of alien contact. But Tishos is sympathetic to the joint human Ilmataran cause and sabotages the attack with some help from Rob. Rob and what's her name now take command of Hitore Station and defy the Sholin's wishes for them to return to Earth by returning to Earth. <laughs> As he leaves, Rob meets with Broadtail one last time. Broadtail gives him a gift, a lens, which makes Rob very excited because the Ilmatarans don't have eyes or something. <laughs> I think James L. Cambius thought that that would be more impactful than it was. Rob says thank you the only way he knows how. Fat fish, smiley face, fishing net, sex Alicia, quantum entanglement drive. Broadtail's pincers quiver with understanding. The end. Oh, wow. That was a, that was a ride. Nice yeah, sorry, this, this book didn't lend itself well to uh, interpretation. <laughs> no, it's pretty straightforward. So, Brock... Oh, I mean, so Summer, let's have you share some bad takes now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, Summer. (laughs) All right. So the first one that I enjoyed reading is from Amazon. It's a one-star review. It's called Puerile Plot Twists. And this person had to stop reading when, in acts of resistance, scientists urinate and defecate in the living quarters of visiting aliens. Utterly unbelievable behavior from scientists on an anthropological research mission. (laughs) It is sad that the plot turned in this direction because the plot was interesting. Has this person met a scientist? Nerdy (laughs) person? Or any professionals? Well, first of all, Rob is an engineer. (laughs) (laughs) And engineers are Raj... Um, yeah, that kind of made me laugh. Like any group at a certain point isn't allowed to pee on stuff. (laughs) Right. Well, and they were trying to be peacefully resistant. What else was he... I guess there were other things they could have done, but that seems like a pretty obvious one to me, actually. So, like... To bother... bother aliens? I don't know. They didn't seem to mind, actually. They were like, what is this material? We have tons of jizz in here. I don't know why they think we care. (laughs) (laughs) This place is covered in bodily fluids. (laughs) Don't bring a black light in. So that that comment is the kind of person I don't think I'd want to talk to. Yeah. Because I I have such a pet peeve about people worshipping science, but you can tell they don't understand science. That drives me bananas. Like the whole, like, I effing love science websites and stuff. And they don't share science. They just share, like, memes (laughs) that are like, someone made an observation. Observations are science. And I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) Science is a very specific philosophical method. So even in this book, that was bugging me. Because, like, it talks about, like, Sholin science and how it's different from human science because they don't use the scientific method of, like of, uh, like, here's a hypothesis, now try to disagree with it, because they, cause they believe in consensus. Mm-hmm. And I was going, okay, well, then the Sholin don't have scientists. Mm-hmm. That's that's what science is. Right. Yeah, no, if you come to a conclusion without 
challenging it or testing it, then you you have not you've not discovered or or well and they can concluded. they can conclude. I mean science specifically is referring to that method. Well, but like even this book was driving me a little bananas, like every time the scientists were so plucky and they were doing everything they wanted to for science. And I was like, eh. The humans or the Sholin? Well, kind of everyone. Uh-huh. And, like, the scientists were all good, and they all, even across, like, even across species lines, like, people didn't get along unless they were scientists. Then, like, that shared love of knowledge, like, you have to be a scientist to, like, <laughs> want to not discover. It's just, it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's that tendency right. to take any good thing and be like, this is science, and every bad, backward superstitious thing is not science and it was it was bugging me and this person even though the book was bugging me this person it like didn't go far enough for this person (laughs) (laughs) so that's why i'm saying i don't want to talk to him (laughs) okay my next favorite bad take the title is nope two stars like reading a spongebob novel (laughs) That made me laugh out loud. I don't know, because there's, like, lobster Yeah. under the sea? Yeah. That's all. I mean, no one was living under a... I don't even know the song. Under the sea. No one lived in pineapples. Yeah, no one lives in a pineapple under the sea. Come on. That's the whole comment? It's like Spongebob? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think it, this person's wait, ever seen Spongebob. Well, I've well, seen, like, one episode. Well, I don't know if we should let our daughter watch Spongebob. Is there alien rape in Spongebob? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I thought Rob, it was a very strange... <laughs> Not the episodes I have seen. Okay, well, anything there goes. There is some correlation. All right. Okay, so now I've got now I've got two that are maybe a little bit more useful. Uh, bad takes. So this next one is a three-star Amazon review. Interesting book, but mixed writing quality, which which I can see. So it says there are portions of the first half of the book which lack polish and style, as if they were written by a high school student. The dialogue in places reminded me of the narration of a bad 50s sci-fi movie. This is intermittent in the first half, and the quality becomes much better as the book goes on. Uh, the rough sections need a bit more attention. That being said, the story is overall quite interesting. The structure improves as the book goes on. Characterization is a bit flat for the humans, but I found the aliens quite relatable. Interesting. I had a hard time starting this book. I thought the dialogue was weird. But I feel like sometimes when the dialogue is weird, it just takes like a chapter to get into it, and then you're like, okay, I got it. You know what's weird? Is that Cambius... He, he, uh, he, like, he accent corrects for the aliens. Like, we don't have to worry about them being like, hello, shiny, dome thing. <laughs> but, like, if, if one of the human scientists speaks with another accent, he doesn't accent correct into just, yeah. like, our default. So, like, right. no, he really gets so, like, it. half the humans were speaking, and I was like, wait, do they have, like, the bends? <laughs> or like, and it, I, and it always caught me off guard a little bit. And I was like, oh yeah, this person's like French or Russian or something. Mm. Why is this person dropping mm-hmm. all their articles? Yeah, yeah. There was oh, like yeah. there were a yeah. couple of French guys. There was a Russian guy apparently. Well, and I think it's cool that it's an international. Yeah. Um, like it would be right. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a UN project. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we would we would hope. Yeah, that's a that's a cool outcome. I like that. The problem is that I feel like he should have just leveled the accents. Hmm. Um, I, I do think that was distracting. And most of the humans were super boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, the cool the cool character was Broadtail. Yeah, I liked Broadtail. Yeah, the aliens were super relatable. I also have pincers and an extremely hard body. <laughs> so, uh, and I, and I, I felt that I purchased my daughter from a child catcher. Yes, very relatable. <laughs> right. After eating some of yeah. the other children. Yeah. So this next one I, I thought was... Like a few reviews that I looked at mentioned this. That people were not liking how human the aliens were. 
they felt and behaved very much like humans. The ideas of lobsters going to conferences and making presentations was so ridiculous to this person on Goodreads that uh, this person had to force themselves to read past that. And then it mentions that Blindsight is pretty mu has pretty much set the bar for alien first contact novels, and this one fell very far short of it. I mean... So first what you, of all, what do you guys think? Have you either of you read Blindside? So I, Blindside is one of my favorite books, mm -hmm. and it's not a fair comparison. Mm. So Blindside is probably the best book that I've ever read at making a true alien race. Mm. That we do not have anything in common with it. Um, the way it speaks and thinks and builds um, and propagates itself are so different that we cannot. There's nothing there. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that book for that. So first of all, comparing anything to the single best of anything is a little unfair. Mm. That said, I did kind of agree with this. Like, So there's the Star Trek problem, right? Like, like this is the race. Like, like Klingons are just humans, but more aggressive. Mm -hmm. It's like all of humans' tribalism. And wrinkle skin. And, um, <laughs> right. And whereas, wrinkle foreheads. Right. Whereas, like, the Romulans are the Chinese. They're shifty and suspicious. Yeah. And, and have I, pointy ears. <laughs> so, so like, like, science fiction has tended to do that. And I think that this was kind of in the middle. Like... The, I don't think that I don't think the offender was the Ilmatarans though. I think the Ilmatarans were really novel. I was interested in them. Their life cycle was cool. Yeah. The problem I had was the Shola, mm. which I thought they were really thinly drawn. I think it, I don't think their life philosophy. I mean, this book is in part a takedown of the Prime Directive from Star Trek, mm -hmm. like very obviously <laughs> a takedown of that. Um, right. But the Shola I thought were kind of caricatures. Just like they had this cool idea that they're like, well, like Bonobos could, you know, have conversations and 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 bonding through sex. So why not a whole race that does that? No matter how you know, well, I mean, practical. The, the comparison was made to otters, and otters are pretty randy. So it's kind of like, oh, let's just make them aliens. Well, sure. Put a couple but, more but limbs here's the on difference. them. difference: Bonobos and otters don't create faster than light warp ships. Right. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I don't know. I, and, the sh they, they, and they weren't that bad. I just, I, I did think that they were kind of, the Sholin I thought were caricatures, but I really liked the Ilmatarans. Mm -hmm. If anything, too, the humans were caricatures. <laughs> yeah. The human characters were bad. Mm -hmm. What were you going to yeah. say, Brad? Um, I, I mean, you, you kind of mentioned with Blindsight the, uh, and I haven't read it yet, but um, the idea of you know this alien race that we, we don't have anything in common with. Um, and I think I was hoping for a little more of that with this because, and, and I mean, and they did it a little bit, but because it's so often portrayed that like the first thing we have to establish is math, right? And, you know, numbers and that being sort of this universal thing. But because the Ilmatarns use numbers as language and as their words, I was, I was expecting more of a complication in that. You know, that we're trying to show them numbers and they're just not understanding because because they don't look at numbers the same way we do. Um, and we got a little of that, but um, I think it could have been explored a little more. Perhaps. I think it, it does result in kind of a like back-heavy structure to the plot. We're like, for three-quarters of the plot, you're building up to first contact almost. Mm -hmm. And then when they meet... They just like okay, we taught each other language, and it was it was super right. quick. And even though like hey, it took more than a day. Yeah, <laughs> sure it did. <laughs> but, but, they, but they can communicate like that. They need to go to into a guerrilla war situation within a week. <laughs> right. With, yeah. Real, that was pretty real funny. Quick. I really enjoyed that part. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like, like wait. They're stealing their house. Excuse me. What the? <laughs> like, because that yeah. that's what matters to the libertarians. Like, so yeah. I am a property owner. So when it showed the conversations, <laughs> stop it. Cut that out. Stop being a help. Help. Stop. So when it actually showed the conversations, I really liked that. Um, 
showed the conversations, well, yeah. like when they were like knocking on each other and stuff. Well, no, when it, when it it says what they were hearing the other side say. Oh yeah. Like I that was like, funny. how do you explain a gun? And so you're like, okay, like a bolt. It's a it's like a spear that swims. Yeah. And it can hit you from mm-hmm. twenty cables away. Yeah. And they're like, who can reach that far? Mm-hmm. That's whack. And you're like, no, it swim. You know, and and they kind of have to explain it to. You. Like, I really liked those conversations. Yeah, yeah. That's it's just good like stuff. the speed yeah. of it is. You spent so much time building up to this that then it was like. So they communicated. They had a raid, and then they had a battle, and it felt so lightning fast mm-hmm. compared to the. The, the build up. Yeah, the build up. I, I almost wanted this to be like 50 pages longer hmm. to explore a little bit more of like how do you persuade a nation to go to war for you that you've just barely like colonized? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Brock? What, do you, what else yeah. about like the aliens being. Um, I did like the, uh, the sort of lecture hall moments um, because. You know, I mean, and we find out that this is a mm-hmm. millions of year old civilization, um, and, you know, and, and the idea that they they also have political and intellectual conversations, that, you know, is obvious. Of course, of course, they do. And the way that we meet together all in the same room is not novel. <laughs> you know, it's like. If you want to talk to a bunch <laughs> yeah, of people, that complaint be seems dumb. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know, I I, I thought that was. Uh, I, I would I love for it. us to read Blind Sight at some point because it is it is yeah. so insanely. Yeah, it's on my list. Good, freaky. Was it ever nominated for yeah. anything? Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, do you know if it was nominated for like the Hugo? I think it was actually. It didn't. It didn't win. Hmm. I do um, not know. I only care about if it. I only care about it if it was nominated. So <laughs> that's just a joke. Yeah, it, it did get nominations for uh, for Hugo, best novel, and the Campbell Award, and the Locus Award. Um, Won the Seiyun Award for best translated yeah. novel. Well, that's not for us. It's up to our high standards. So anyway, and I, wasn't it beaten by... A, I actually think it was beaten... Oh, 2006. I don't know who they lost to. Oh, anyway. All right. Uh, back to hosting here. Well, so that was all the bad takes. I, th- that was, I thought that opened up a pretty good discussion there. It lost to a book I've never heard about. Um, well, I felt that was a, a pretty good uh, start to our discussion. Brock, why don't you take it away? Okay. Uh, so, I'm going to say something. <gasps> and uh, I challenge you to prove me wrong. <laughs> the thing that delineates hard sci-fi versus soft sci-fi is that hard sci-fi tells us where and how the characters poop. <laughs> prove me wrong. <laughs> Um, I think you're pretty much right. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say something about soft shell, soft bodies covered by hard shells. (laughs) (laughs) I think this, I think, I think this was hardish sci-fi for sure. Like it talks about like the argon mixture that they have to breathe and yeah, where do they dump their poo? Is that going to cause contamination? Yeah. I mean, yeah, there were... The elevator... Yeah, I mean, there were plenty Pressure. of hard sci-fi moments. I mean, this... I I don't know if this is really about the science, though. Oh, it no. sure it, tried to talk about gathering scientific data a lot. Yeah, but I don't think it's about that. I think it's about, like, kind of the social studies, which is fine. I I, I know there are kind of the people who care about about whether it's hard or not. I don't. But right. I do... No, I don't, I don't care either. But, uh... I just thought we that was fun. We have talked about it before, though. Uh, yeah. Fun little definition. Um, no, and I, I, I think you're right. I, I don't think this book is about the science. At times, it almost felt like a, a pulp adventure novel. Yeah. You know, it, it, it almost felt 
uh, John Carter of Mars kind of thing. Yeah, the second half definitely because it picks up speed. It's about like battles um, and about you know bonding with this alien race. And, yeah, um, you know you, your shared uh, shared values about the sanctity of a man's property. Or, <laughs> Um, you know these real simple uh, salt of the earth. Yeah, or I mean, like, as someone who lives in the Mountain West, when Broadtail, when basically they're like, if you killed this guy on your property, it's okay. I was like, hey, stand your ground, Castle Doctrine. It's all fair. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Brock lives in Idaho, so he's not allowed to disagree. No, no. I mean, I could be. That, he, that is he, he could get cast <laughs> doctrine. <laughs> yeah, stand, stand your ground extends onto my property if I say something yeah. against it. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I thought uh, the opening scenes uh, that, uh, with with Henri, Henri's Who? death. Uh, That's how you say Oh, Henry Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, you can tell he's French because right. his name is Henri. Um, I thought that was a great opening. I loved it. Um, <laughs> I thought it was it was so good. Uh, so we could talk about that, but I also want to discuss what other uh, what other books do you think have openings that really just grab you, twist you around like this Ooh. one. Um, but but in turn, while you while you think on that, uh, I thought. Uh, I mean, the, the, from the way it, I think the first, even just the first paragraph where it's talking about how everybody on the on the station is pl- is plotting how to kill Ollie, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm never not going to say it like that. Uh, you know, they have they have essentially right. a Google document about <laughs> about ways to kill him. Uh, I thought that was really good, and then just that he he's so confident in his. Invisibility suit, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know. Without, you know, and and if he had stopped to think about, well, if these, you know, if these beings use sound to to navigate their surroundings, you can't you can't just dress in all black and say, well, now I'm invisible because black can't be seen, right? Or like in all white, you, you know, you would say, okay, that is a that is a thing that I, I can't see. I guess the details of his suit could have been there. fluorescent pink; it wouldn't uh, have mattered to the elevator. Well, no, but that's the it's 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 <laughs> right. like looking no, no, at a I black guess, hole. I'm saying like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if for sight, you know, if if you're going among sighted people, and you're like, well, this this absorbs <laughs> all light, so I'm invisible. Well, well, no, you're, you're yeah, because they see him like immediately based on him not being there. Yeah, they're noticeable. Yeah, they're like there yeah. should have been a rock there. Yeah, and it, instead yeah, it was. A I floor. love that. The opening so, chapter had so much irony awesome. to it. Like they build up the stealth suit, and then it just mm-hmm. totally fails. <laughs> he thinks he's going to contact them and be famous, even more <laughs> famous. He's already famous. And then they just chop him up. I was laughing right. so hard <laughs> at the just horror of that chapter. Just this awful, ironic right? horror. And it was a yeah. bad laugh. It was like a, you know. Like a, a, oh. oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, did I couldn't that too. help it. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I loved the first chapter of this book. Yeah. Um, then the sec- second chapter yeah. landed. And I was a little excellent. more like, so... You're just gonna have sex with Alicia a lot. No. Yeah, no. You, you come down. A I did bit like this overall. I, I will say that I really liked it. Yeah, me too. I, you know, I thought it was a, um, it, you know, it kept my attention. It, it uh, I, I did think it. I, I felt a, a little bit of a lull, uh, during the pranks. Oh, that was boring. And, and I. I was sort of anxious to okay, okay, let's you know, let's escalate, let's move on past this. Um, but the, but that you know was not a very that was not a belabored part of the book. I normally don't read the back of the book, but I did. I made that mistake for this, mm-hmm. and part and it kind of had this idea that they were waging a guerrilla guerrilla war, 
against the Sholin. And so I kept waiting for that. And they do the pranks, and I'm going like, well, that's not really a... Yeah, that's not gorilla warfare. <laughs> this isn't like the 26th of July movement <laughs> fighting for Cuba against the Batistas right now, you know? And, uh, and Although then, like, it's implied that there are, like army and navy guys there that could have initiated yeah, something then, like but that. But then they leave and it's like five of them leave or something. Like six people six. leave. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is yeah. the guerrilla war? Well, okay, like even like Che Guevara at one point only had like 20 guys. But then like they're just like smashing hydrophones <laughs> pedaling around. I don't know. Um, the way it was sold was like such a, an exciting idea. I thought they would make contact earlier and then like actively like wage war for Hitode. But they never do that. I don't know. The middle section was definitely kind of a drag. Every time we got back to Broadtail, I was just like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> I want to follow this plucky little lobster. Dude. Do whatever he does. Lobster crab uh, guy. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to talk about... Um, I want to talk about that, but uh, Summer, did you say? Yeah, you, I liked did it. Did you like it? I I actually liked all the point of views, and um, my uh, reading of the humans of Rob Kramer, our, our friend. Good I was friend, like, Rob Kramer. I was like, that sounds like him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I, I, their behavior actually didn't surprise me or disgust me or anything because I was like. It's like a whole bunch of people stuck on this submarine. Of course, they're going to resort to childish pranks for a little bit to be like to get their frustration out because they were totally. told they couldn't do anything else. To me, that didn't surprise me, and it didn't. I was just mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, I can see that they would do that. Yeah. Even though they were supposedly intelligent, space-faring yeah, people. That just means they're like, more clever about their poop pranks. <laughs> what I liked, I liked it when they would have assumptions. Where, like, the humans would kind of be sarcastic, and the Sholem would be like, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> like, I liked that. Um, I don't know, I just I just didn't like the Sholem very much. And maybe it's because, like, I lo- I'm a huge fan of Star Trek. I grew up with that instead of Star Wars. Um, and, I lo- and, I lo- and the show has no internal co- consistency. Like, don't even think about that. But I love that Star Trek does, like, the ethical dilemma type episodes. I I find that way more stimulating than, you know, space opera adventures and sleeping with your sister or whatever Star Wars does. And, um... (laughs) And... But the thing that always has driven me nuts is I I hate the Prime Directive. And so the the reason I didn't like the Sholin is they really were despite Tijos being cool and despite being able to see some of their perspective, they were definitely antagonists. Their their whole life philosophy was... You could t- tell that James L. Cambius thought it was preposterous. Um, yeah. Like, everyone else is kind of inbuilt with, like, a, a, a world philosophy that makes some sort of coherent sense uh, that can function. The Schollener, they they do not have that benefit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Was it? Um, I, I oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say I thought it was kind of interesting. So there's, I don't, I don't know if it's an adage or a, a, a scientific, uh, sort of official opinion, but there's kind of the idea that you can't, you cannot observe a society or a you know or an animal or like you you cannot observe something without affecting yeah. it. Um, and I thought it was interesting that, like, that's the Sholin's perspective, right? That is their, you know, they're trying to prevent that. And then we sort of see Henri, uh, who thinks he has found a way around it. And, like, oh, <laughs> I will be able to observe them without affecting them. And it just goes so completely wrong. I just, I thought that was kind of a funny, uh, kind of a funny uh, contradiction. Yeah. What were you going to say, Summer? I was just going to say, I mean, we've made this point about the Sholin being, like, having this society that obviously isn't working, but, I mean, was that the point? Well, ostensibly, they have somehow, they're, I mean, they're they're technologically dominant, they've done something. But they did say they have, they have had... There's, like, a really big war. Collapse. Yeah, there was a big yeah. collapse, and, like, this is the remnants of it, of their empire. 
Yeah, so... And they're trying this out, and it's obviously not working. So there's a Star Trek movie. Um, it's one of the bad movies. <laughs> where there's these people who... It turns out that they were technologically advanced, but they decided that technolo- technology just brings suffering, so they've decided to live basically like a, a feudal society on this planet. <laughs> and And I'm sorry, but I don't buy it. Like, like I feel like you can bring peace. Like, like, like I feel like major technological advances. Yeah, it gives you the ability to set off a nuclear bomb, but it also means that you don't have to have ninety percent of your population making food. You know, it, right. you don't have to have class warfare if you allocate m- modern technology correctly, and it's mm-hmm. you, can, you can be healthy. Yeah, everyone can be healthy. Everyone can be. Yeah, everyone can be interacting in a in a rewarding way, and um, so I I feel like the Shulman are just incredibly stupid that they think that blowing glass and living in communes and making it so that nobody else can expand is somehow not even just safer for the universe, but safer for themselves. When they clear they clearly worry, they're so short sighted. They clearly worry about humans expanding too quickly. Right, like humans have a bunch of shipyards, and the Sholin only have one, so the Sholin will soon lose their technological lead. Well, are he, are they just banking on never meeting anyone but humans? Like, right. it just it just yeah. they just seem incredibly stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas the human mindset and the Ilmatarian mindset is both like, okay, we want to prepare, we want as much knowledge as possible. The Ilmatarians love this alien artifact stuff because it's stronger synthetic materials. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, everyone in this story has this... It, it, evolution makes you want to expand and make yourself secure, except the Sholin, who apparently... Yeah, like, in your instinct and, and everything leans towards survivability. That's what you... That's what we crave. And we can accomplish that through... When on the other hand, the humans are just, like, total, totally enthusiastic colonial powers, basically. <laughs> like, within uh, yes. days of meeting the Ilmatarans, they're press-gaying them into a, into a colonial war. Right. Into a brush-fire war. Right, right. Yeah, that's... Uh, I've seen that's some reviews that felt that the book was actually immoral for that. Um, what do you guys think? That this is colonial literature, colonial yeah, sci-fi. Just, just one more <laughs> way that humans just come in and take over. Yeah. Um. I mean, it it, uh, it did it did smack of uh, you know like <laughs> a Zulu situation or uh, you know Native Americans being being pressed into into combat service in, in any of our wars and uh, but I but I think that you can depict you know something that is a a parallel to that uh, without I mean I, I don't know I guess so yeah I don't so know that it was the intent here. though I well, mean no, none of them wanted that to happen well I don't know Rob seems pretty ch- like yeah we're gonna go to war <laughs> Like, yeah, he was on so board. I agree with you, Brock. There's, a, <laughs> I, and this is something we've talked about in the past, right? There's a difference between depiction and advocate and, and advocacy. So, is this book just depicting that these particular right. humans happen to behave in that way, or is James L. Cambius like, yeah, this is cool, and it would be right to <laughs> have the natives help us in this way? They're choosing to, but it raises: can they really make that decision? You know, they they never right. hear the Sholin side of the story. Yeah, they just yeah, they, don't have they just hear that the squatters are stealing their homes, and that resonates with them. They never get the Sholin to be like, "All right, guys, listen, these humans, they've been dumping their poo near your village, <laughs> and it could kill you. <laughs> like, it's actually dangerous to interact with them. Right. We're just trying to get them off your planet. They have other houses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't." <laughs> this is not their permanent. Like they, only they home. never get to hear That's both funny. sides. So can they even make that decision? Right. So what do you think, Summer? 
is this colonial literature? Where do you think James L. Cambia stands? Read into his intentions. <laughs> is this book immoral for that? And by I the think, way, I can like an immoral book. I think I think he right. I think he thought of these cool the matter and alien people and wanted to write a book about it and just shake the rest of it around that. And this is what shook out. It's like, I gotta bring in some dumb humans and I gotta bring in some weird randy otters. (laughs) But I feel like he had watched some episodes of Star Trek where he was just like, like, the Federation is, because it's ridiculous, sometimes the Federation is willing to let billions of people die rather than make contact with them for fear of altering their future. And their reasoning is always just like this, you can tell that, like, no one on set had a background in philosophy. Because they're like, well, what if one of them grows up to be Starhiller? Well, they, (laughs) okay, (laughs) then you shouldn't perform surgery on anyone. You, right. You should but do you nothing can, ever. But you can freaking save their planet from an asteroid. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so you just think it was the Ilmatarans were cool, and so James L. Cambius wrote a book around it. Yeah. Okay. They're but, obviously the most developed of the oh, yes. three races. They totally are. Well, do you even want to see the Sholin planet? It's just like it's just like a pink mess. <laughs> it's a stink, a stink yeah. cloud. Otters just gambling around. Yeah. You know, doing that little tumble, sexual tumble all the time. Yeah, always caressing. <laughs> Eating their little balls of food. What do you think, Brad? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a particular conclusion. I, I do think there is an element of, you know, this native species it's pretty cool that they that they banded together with the humans to, to fight off this other species you know I, do, I don't think there's any it doesn't seem like there's colonial guilt uh, operating um, it, I could see how maybe there could be in the future but, may, but in this instance maybe yeah, no, I don't think so yeah this this almost seems more like a noble savage kind of thing, uh, you know, where where we, we take these uh, uh, these undeveloped peoples and we uh, we sh- you know we show them our civilized ways, and then they help us. Uh, yeah, the, which, which, although the, I think the they felt, I think they felt the same way. The, Elmer, yeah. the Elmaterans felt the same way about the humans. They're like, look at these noble savages. <laughs> well, yeah, but there yeah. is the difference that one of us can leave our planet <laughs> and the other one has been stuck <laughs> under the water for a billion years or whatever. <laughs> so long that apparently once they had eyes <laughs> and an ice age like drove right. them underwater right. or something. Is that what we feel is, ha- is that what yeah. we feel that lens implies? I think that's what I got out of it. What do you... Yeah, that was yeah, kind of my, so. my thoughts as well. I thought about some other Boring. things, like maybe they'd been, they'd been visited by aliens before. Yeah. But I, I, I feel like the lens is the biggest, that, that they had eyes, but their ice age pushed them deeper underwater. So it was one of those appendages they lost. They're like, yeah, I lost an appendage, it's no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when they're in the battles, yeah. Broadwater is like, or Broadtail is like, I lost an appendage, but it's okay. It wasn't a necessary one. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe their eyes became like that. I'm lousy. <laughs> I can stand to lose yeah. a few. Oh, I mean, even we can. <laughs> sure. <laughs> just we're not like cool about it. Well, yeah, because they it's don't. It's like chill, dude. Yeah. It's just we're sawing off your arms in this rusty right. Civil War camp. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the difference is they don't have uh, ghost pains. That's true, yeah. No ghost pains. Yeah. Uh, oh, so we didn't we didn't talk about this. Uh, what other books have great mm. opening chapters? That's a tough question. I I had one that immediately came to mind. Uh, is Dune. Oh yeah, uh, Dune. Oh Dune. yeah, sure. Yeah. I I think the beginning of Dune really just tosses you in the deep end. Brock, you're just cheating, because you can say Dune for, like, any positive example. <laughs> <laughs> for example, 
Dune <laughs> tells you where and how the characters poop. Does it really? Uh, I mean, still suits, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Yeah, it does. And there's also a line about scrubbing your ass with sand. It talks about showering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's not enough water, so you have a gritty shower. <laughs> See? Dune. Dune is the answer. No, I think th- I, I do think the first chapter of Dune is really great um, because it, it really uh, just kind of tosses you in this, this information and sort of trusts the reader to, uh, to put things together and to, uh, to follow along. Yeah. Um, and it does a good job with uh, doling out information. How about this? I think the first chapter of Six Wakes was really good. I was actually going to yeah. say that. Were you? That I did enjoy the first chapter, and then yeah. after that I was like, well... <laughs> it was like a roller coaster. <laughs> in that you slowly go up to the top, and that's where the book starts, and you're just so excited. And then it breaks down before the drop. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to wait on the you have to wait on the ride down. for an hour and then climb down. <laughs> While your daughter is like, I need to pee. Yeah. <laughs> I told you to go. <laughs> <laughs> Bring up some Lysol wipes. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's talk. Let's talk Ilmatarin's speech. Uh, so at one point, uh, one of the one of the lobster men with with a compound <laughs> word name. He ha- he has a device that makes a big noise. Oh, yeah, the teacher. Right? Uh, yeah, and um, I think Broadtail asks him, uh, you know, what what does this, what does it do? And or maybe he says, what do you imagine it doing? Because that's the way that they speak. And the teacher says, I cannot remember using it. And to us, if, if we say something like that, you know, I don't remember ever using it, it would be an admission of our faulty memory, right? It would be saying... Uh, maybe I've used it. I don't. I don't know. Um, but in the, in their sort of uh, manner of speech, it's the same thing as saying I have never used this. Um, and I think it's really interesting that this species has a, a complete confidence in their own memory, uh, and sort of that's that's what their speech uh, indicates. You know, that they they say like. I remember doing this, or I imagine doing this, um, instead of I did this. Or I, I liked this. that affectation. That, I, did that too. They, I mean, they don't have perfect memories because they clearly take notes. Right, but, but they, they have, do. They express that. But it seems like when they re- share their memories, like their 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 remembering is very active compared to ours. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you were to ask me about going to the store. I'm not necessarily, and like something funny happened, I'm not necessarily picturing it. I can tell you without like revisiting it fully. Yeah. Like there will still be traces that I'm picturing and thinking about. But like to them when it's like, so what happened? And he's like, I remember he came onto my property. I remember thinking I was on my property. I remember we The word they use is recall, which I I like a little bit better than I recall us fighting. I recall stabbing him in the face, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like this—it's right. present tense, right? Yeah. Like it's very, yeah. it's very evocative. It seems like they're kind of in the moment. I like when we finally the humans finally meet them. Just like their whole physiology is so fascinating to me mm-hmm. that they just like when they're tired, they just kind of curl up and go to sleep. Yeah, <laughs> right. And they just get tired. They're very much like a cold-blooded species. They get uh-huh. tired, and they need to rest. Yeah. yeah. And, and, they need to rest and so they and curl up in a defensive position and sleep yeah when the baby catching everything about the Ilmaterns was so fascinating like where are these babies coming yeah, from do they just cool. like the like females just squirt larvae out yeah, and they they go out and swim were and there i don't think there were any like we couldn't tell if there were any females well there were females were there a female adult? Uh, Hardhold or whatever her name was. Oh, was that's right. Yeah. They they yeah. did they there did say several. she. And at some point she said, that's "I right. have four larvae. We can eat these to make it to the town." And I didn't know if she was saying they they were her larvae, or if they were just larvae she had scrounged yeah. up. Oh, she. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. I don't remember. She that. was like holding on to those larvae for a while. Um, and they're they're clearly cool eating kids. Right. I, that, so that's another of my questions. Uh, how do you think we would deal with a sentient species like this um, that was so nonchalant about you know cannibalism? Well, I don't. I don't think they consider it. It's not cannibalism because they're not. They're not like cognizant <clears throat> beings until they reach a certain age and have survived. One have been trained to be cognizant. Yeah, and have in, trained to like yeah. be aware that they are they, individuals. Though, unlike humans, they have innate language. Yeah. Right. Like, they are born. These these adolescents know how to talk. Mm-hmm. They just kind of don't as much. Like they have to be taught how to read. And how to interact, but it says that even wild children know how to talk, which is one of the reasons they're surprised at the humans who don't know how to talk with mm-hmm. them. Um, I agree with you. It's it's not. I don't think that. They, I don't think it's. I don't think they're in a moral place where they're necessarily wrong. But the question is, how do, how would we react to it? And right. the answer is with a ton of hand wringing and wokeness on Twitter <laughs> that accomplishes nothing. <laughs> That's how we would react. Yeah. Be like, what about the rights of these... Like, you're going to go to Elementar and do anything? Yeah. And, like, train <laughs> train little crustacean babies how to... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> that, we would, that every I, single I just, one I is going to be saved and trained and... Right. Uh, um, when they their 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 whole economy seems really based on scarcity. Mm-hmm. Like, everyone is trapping what they can to eat. Mm-hmm. Like... The kids just except kinda, for Long Pincer, he seemed pretty wealthy. Well, yeah, but he's wealthy. Yeah, like mo- like most people, so he owns a lot of land, and he owns land that's in a really good location. Yeah, uh, he's kind of a monopoly in his wealth. area. Not anymore. This is the Sholin torpedoed his house. Yeah, well, it does say he was upset. <laughs> <laughs> it was his property. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. Would be too. <laughs> he's, al- he's already hankering for a warship to go attack the Sholin homeworld for messing with his house. <laughs> <laughs> but what do you think, Brock? Do you th- how would humans react? I I don't think. I mean, I I think you're right. I think that we would have. Um, I think I think we would have a big problem with it. I, you know, I think there would be a lot of worrying about, uh, you know, the the morality. Projecting our own morality onto this alien yeah, species. Yeah, I, I think we would have North American and European academics pooping their pants over it, <laughs> <laughs> and and nothing would happen. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Someone would eventually send missionaries. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. That's that's a story I want to read. There are some really good books about. Like basically Jesuit missionaries going to alien cultures, and just getting like wiped out <laughs> because <laughs> because the concepts don't transpose. Like yeah. like they barely transposed to Japan, <laughs> let alone to like some carnivorous right. alien race that eats their kids. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, so so I think my last discussion topic. Uh, speaking of. Uh, language structure uh, Rob says the following sentence uh, to wait what's her name Angela Alicia Alicia yeah. says the following sentence to Alicia I bet we could go away and have sex together and come back without anyone noticing <laughs> um, what is your favorite clumsy way to talk about intimacy <laughs> I don't know. He really is good. At it. <laughs> right, it's pretty good. I'm good. I I was really impressed with the way he bagged the French hottie with his killer lines about having sex only three days after they shower, and the clamminess of their skin after peeling off neoprene wetsuits. Yeah, yeah. he's pretty good. <laughs> That's how you get someone going. Stoke those fires. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I only want to have sex with you three days after our shower. <laughs> We've got to time it. Time it just right. All right. Well, uh, yeah. Did I you have another I favorite line? Yeah, I liked it too. It was. Uh, I enjoyed it. 
it was a laugh. Yeah, it was good. It was a, it was a gas. <laughs> an argon gas. An argon gas. That's funny. All right, well, thank you. That was a lovely discussion. The uh, It's my choice for book of the month club next month. Ooh, excellent. And um, I know the last time I chose a Hugo nominee from 2018, it really didn't end well because we read a book about being woke. Um, but I, I am going to try. True. I am going to try another Hugo nominee from 2018, and this time we'll try John Scalzi, uh, The Collapsing Empire. Okay. Roger. <laughs> like red shoes. No, no, John. John, John, John not, Scalzi, not The Collapsing Empire, about which I know nothing. Oh, I don't either. I'm not even going to read the back of the book. <gasps> oh, this was the Space Fifth Book Space Podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Bye. I was Dan. <laughs> Summer. Do we do that? I don't know. Usually. Still Brock. <laughs> yeah, he is. This whole time I was. We would have been about that well. <laughs>